0: Yes, good morning. I bring you greetings from a little church in Thailand called Igo Christian Fellowship. We're here for the summer and um, received the request to preach here. I understand it's a little short-staffed this uh, Sunday, and so happy to come down and uh, share a message with you this morning. Clark and Chris are not with us. They uh, were part of the youth and um, are also um, part of the instruction class there at uh, Millmont. And uh, I'm not sure with the schedule if they actually have their special assignments or something that they had to be at our church for or not, but that was the reason they were going to uh, Millmont. So it's just my wife and I here this morning. We're happy to be here. We know some of you, not all of you, but uh, we're Uh, Glad to be here. Last year, I spoke on the Kingdom of God in relation to politics. Had a PowerPoint at Vacation Bible School this summer at Millmont, or Summer Bible School, I guess we call it. I also had a Kingdom of God message about mentoring and showed a PowerPoint. This morning, I don't have a PowerPoint. But I'm still on this uh, Kingdom of God theme, I guess you would say. And I would like to talk this morning about building this Kingdom of God. Building the Kingdom of God. When you think of this Kingdom of God, this combination of local churches all around the globe, you think of... Christians living their lives, you know, America right now is at 65% Christian, there's some debate on those numbers, but around 65%. It's on the decline in America, actually. Uh, 50 years ago, they say 90% of Americans would have called themselves Christians. Now it's at 63 to 65 would call themselves Christians. So around us, we see here in America empty churches, churches for sale. However, globally, the Church of God is actually increasing. There's a uh, website, LifeWay Research, and they give out a bunch of encouraging trends about Christianity. However, it's not related to the USA. It's related to the global church. So I'd like you to just think about some of these things. I picked out a couple. As you serve in your local church, this is written by an Aaron Earls in January 2022, I believe. It can be easy to forget the global nature of Christianity, even connections to missionaries, or trips to other countries don't fully display the magnitude of the modern-day church. And if your church has plateaued or is even shrinking, you can be tempted to see the global church in a similar light. But the latest statistics from the Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary can give a better perspective on Christianity in 2022. There are seven encouraging trends. The first one, Religious faith is growing faster than the irreligious or the non-religious. That's kind of hard to believe. We think that people are leaving the church to become atheists. Particularly in the West, he says, it can seem like secularism is growing and people are leaving the church and the faith. But globally, that's not the case at all. While the number of all religious people is growing at a 1.27 rate, the growth rate of non-religionists is less than half that, at 0.5%, 0.52%, well below the total population growth percentage. In particular, the number of atheists is almost stagnant, growing only 0.18% per year. There are fewer atheists around the world today, 147 million, than there were in 1970, which was only 165 million. So 165, now we're down to 147. That's according to the 2022 Status of Global Christianity report. Gordon Conwell report expects the number to continue to decline, this is of atheists, into 2050. That's fascinating. In our Sunday school, someone mentioned that it seems that, um, you know, people at some point have to uh, wrestle with something bigger than themselves. And that is a global trend. Like, we, we are looking for something uh, bigger than, our, than, a, than us, bigger than us. Dropping down to uh, the fifth encouraging trend, the percentage of non-Christians who know a Christian, you got that? Percentage of non-Christians who know a Christian is climbing. This is especially uh, obvious when you're over in Thailand where it's about 1% Christian, so you take a trip through the Thailand countryside wherever you're going to see, on average, about 99 non-Christians until you can find someone who is a Christian. It's only about 1% Christian. So you meet a lot of people who don't even know a Christian. Who? What? Uh, Maybe they heard of it, maybe they didn't. Uh, A lot of people that um, don't know a Christian. This says that the percentage of non-Christians who do know a Christian is climbing around the globe. With more Christians now living outside of Christian nations, more non-Christians know a Christian. So what's the trend that's happening? You take Europe where um, we actually uh, uh, logged into a live stream of the coronation of the... uh, King of England, and uh, I was just shocked at how much Bible reading there was in the coronation. It was amazing. You felt like you were in a church service, practically. Uh, there's strong historical Christian flavor to the Western nations, to Europe, to the U.S., and uh, the Christian uh, numbers in those countries are shrinking at the moment, and it can feel like a bad thing, but the numbers in non-Christian countries are actually growing, which, what are we doing? We're, we're spreading around is what's happening. Uh, Warren Clugston uh, from Mountain View down there, before he died, I heard him say that uh, Mennonites are like manure. I think some of you have heard that already. They're really good to put on the fields, but you put them in a pile and they stink. Uh, And there's benefits to Christians spreading around the globe. I think when, when we clump together, we can tend to run into complications that you don't run into as much when you're spread thin. Because everybody, instead of worrying about, you know, fussing about who gets what and who can do what and not do what and all that, you're thinking about how you can reach out to the community around you, how you can support each other, because there's only a couple of you, and you're all working hard and stretched thin. Anyway, I find this an encouraging trend. We're getting out of our, you know, little uh, clumps in Christian nations, which I'm not even sure there is something like that, but uh, nations full of Christians is more accurate, I think. And we're moving around the globe. In 1900, more than half of the world's population, 54.3%, was unevangelized. That has now fallen to 28%. As a result, the percentage of unevangelized people around the world continues to fall. So, I think those are some good things, some positive trends. Thinking about building the kingdom now, I would like to hear your ideas on ways to build the kingdom. You have any ideas? How can you build the kingdom of God? We'll make it a little easier. Instead of saying how can I build the kingdom of God, How can anyone build the kingdom of God? Like, what are the things that build the kingdom? What are your ideas? Children, what are your ideas? How do you see Christianity growing around the world? How does this work? Loving, loving people, amen. Praying, that's excellent. What else? Singing. Wonderful. What else? Being kind. Good. Being kind. Keep going. Doesn't have to be the children. The Bible says out of the mouth of babes, but, you know, I'm happy to hear from the adults, too. helping people. Yes. What else? Telling people about Jesus? Telling people about Jesus. Good. What else? Two good ones, being sensitive to the needs around us and letting God work through us. What else? is not as comfortable there now Phil you've hit on one that's it's it's not a a cakewalk to move to the city or to move to Thailand Um, it comes with a lot of stress and I'm not sure sometimes if it's worth it Um, it is when I sit down and think about it but you know in the day-to-day grind of things and looking at the complications sometimes it's like why did we ever you know, leave the good life to do this. It's just not the smartest thing for our family, the smartest thing, you, you think of the negatives. But it's a fact that the harvest fields are white and it's where the people are nowadays, mostly in the cities and in unreached areas far away. And that's partly because we live in America. so. Most of the people in America have heard the gospel and they're not sure they're interested. So most of the people you talk to in America, you know, they know who Jesus is. They understand about a creator God. They have the Christian worldview framework. At least there's some familiarity with it. And uh, pretty much everybody knows a Christian. But you go to other parts of the world and it just, it it's not that way. It doesn't work that way. Dwayne... Uh, Weber shared a sermon, and he talked about how uh, God receives glory from uh, worship. In an area where there's not many Christians, there's not much worship happening. Somebody had said singing and praying and things like that. In an area where there's not Christians, that doesn't happen. What else are some things that are missing in an area where Christians are not? What's the difference between an area where there's a lot of Christians and an area where there are not many Christians? Does it make a difference? We talk about being salt and light. What does it actually do? Any thoughts about that? I thought of the name of your church word of hope I think that last word is significant when you think about this an area where there's a lot of Christians I think you'll find there's more hope we have a hope for a future and we have a certain rest that we learned about because we can experience sins forgiven we can experience the Holy Spirit inside of us helping us to live Righteous lives, that doesn't mean we always get that figured out exactly, but uh, the Holy Spirit keeps tapping our shoulder and pushing us in the right direction. It's a little bit different than other religions. Other religions want to see good works, but they don't have the Holy Spirit to help them. Uh, they have to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and follow the set of rules, and it's, uh, it's difficult for them, and they get discouraged many times and struggle Um, A lot of it relates to discipline and, you know, got to do this. Um, There should be a difference in our Christian circles because God is living in us and changing us from the inside out. And he's helping us to feel that Holy Spirit pushing us in good directions, making good things happen. So when you are in a country that has a lot of Christian influence, you should be able to pick up on that. You should see people... Excited about God, excited about what God's doing in their lives. You should sense the the hope in them. You should sense the peace in them. And I think the first one that somebody said was loving. They'll know us by our love. That's what the Bible says. They should pick up on that within us. So I'd like to move on now. <clears throat> I mentioned this in uh, mentoring at Bible school. Some of the, you that were there, how do you measure uh, building the kingdom? Ideas on that? How do we know if we're actually succeeding in building the kingdom? The kingdom of God is within us, so a lot of it's spiritual. How do you actually know if it's growing and you know we're getting the job done? I won't make you embarrass yourself because you could be wrong on this one. There's a lot of different ways that the kingdom of God can be built. But I'd suggest to you that numbers, the number of Christians around the globe, is the way you measure it. Now, you can argue that uh, health of the Christian church also comes into play. And I would agree. You want the Christians to be healthy. But generally speaking, any kingdom in order to be healthy needs to be growing. A kingdom that's shrinking in numbers is dying. A kingdom that's expanding in numbers is growing. That's how we measure kingdoms. So how are we doing in the U.S.? Well, what are we seeing? We're seeing the numbers actually declining. So maybe we're not doing such a good job in the U.S. Kingdom of God is shrinking in the U.S., we could say. Some of these other countries, you see the kingdom of God growing. Globally, you see the kingdom of God growing overall, 1.5 something percent increase around the globe, I think it is, 1.15, I forget. But um, it's significantly growing in numbers. So when we think of quantifying the growth in the kingdom, we have to think about the numbers That's why I think God says the, uh, the harvest fields are white. Um, enjoyed our Sunday school this morning. Um, that little phrase, not mixed with faith, fascinated me. It's like you can share the gospel and the response of the people, if it's not mixed with faith, doesn't produce the results implication is that if you share the gospel and it is mixed with faith in the hearers it actually produces fruit in their life they become Christians just enjoy the idea of sharing the gospel speaking to those who have faith so can we make people Christians what do you think of that can we make people Christians? Can make them religious pagans. <laughs> yeah, I see some heads shaking. No, you cannot make people Christians. Why? Because the kingdom of God is an invitation to join the kingdom. If you force people to join the kingdom of God, we've undermined the way that you enter the kingdom. We've undermined the foundational principle of uh, being a volunteer kingdom. It's, uh, pardon me for using a crude <laughs> illustration, but it's like a volunteer army versus a drafted army. Um, you're, you're, you volunteer for this task. Do you want to be a Christian or not? Do you want to be a part of the kingdom of God? I get to preach... Uh, the baptismal message at Millmont in a couple Sundays. And I'm interested in this entrance into the kingdom of God. You know, why is it the way it is? And um, some of the benefits or the, the, the way that God designed it. It's just, it's interesting. God wants us to be a part of his kingdom. He wants us to be his children. He wants us to be able to experience this. I'd like to look at some ways to build the kingdom. These categories are not exhaustive, they're just stuff that Phil Segrist cooked up. But the first one I thought about is we build the kingdom by who we are. So who are we as Christians? Who are we? What are some of the things that create our identity? John 1. Turn to John chapter 1. We're going to be flipping around pretty fast. This is going to be like a... uh, might be a little bit like a sword drill <clears throat> but um like to hit on a bunch of these uh, several different verses let's turn to John chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 it says but as many as received him to them gave he power to become the what three words somebody say it Sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Sons of God, power to become the sons of God. That fact right there is a special one. Sons of God, are you with me on that? Like, uh, if you believe in the God who created the universe, this idea of being sons of God is a special place it's a it's a position of privilege to be the son of a god that created the universe flip to 1 Peter 2 verse 9 next 1 Peter 2 verse 9 1 Peter 2, 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So you see a difference in placement. Out of darkness, into his marvelous light, then they give you the, the different adjectives. You could call it a royal priesthood, you could call it a holy nation, you could call it a peculiar people. But the purpose of this placement, this movement out of darkness into light, is so that we show forth his praises. That's the purpose for uh, this position. And then turn to uh, just next page, 1 Peter 3, verse 15. 1 Peter 3, Verse 15 says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. That one says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. I like the, uh, the hope that is in you. So this position includes a hope that is in us. And one more yet on this position. Uh, Philippians 1, 6. Turn back to Philippians now. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. This verse says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And this one's talking about that Holy Spirit living in us. It is not, I noticed in the commentary, it said something about, you know, this. we cannot believe in our good works for salvation. That's a a key principle, a biblical principle we cannot forget. We can't think that it's about us being good that uh, earns us our salvation. This verse helps me with that because it says, uh, He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So God starts that work in our hearts as we become his children. He lives in us as Christians, and he will continue that work. There's actually a prompting, a sanctification, a good things that happen in us, because of God, not just based on, <clears throat> on us and, you know, how much we read the Bible and how much we pray, <clears throat> and I do promote those activities. i uh, not sure how you're going to learn more about God if you don't read your Bible, uh, but God is the one that actually changes our hearts and gives us the power to change. He will perform that. So those are some of the things that I think it's important we remember as our identity as a child of God. Because we build the kingdom in large part because of who we are. When people see us, we want them, and that takes me to my second point. The second point is, we build the kingdom by who others think we are or perceive us to be. Sort of like your reputation and what people think of you. Um, I make a distinction because Um, real integrity in a person's life, life those two are usually very similar in other words the person that we present ourselves as the person that people think we are that's actually who we are we live that way in private in our families it's who we are but there can be a disconnect between the two right so we can be thought of as X and really be living as why something different and i think it's important that we think about that and we li- live lives of integrity lives where what people see and think of us is actually uh who we are thinking about you know who we're Perceived to be. I got a couple of verses on that. Turn to Colossians 4. Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 say, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. That you may know how to answer every man now turn to matthew 5 which is back in the gospels and matthew chapter 5 has another verse about salt some of you might even have it memorized matthew 5 is a sermon on the mount verse 13 matthew 5 verse 13 says ye are the salt of the earth but if the salt have lost his savor wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men." I put this verse in here because as people see us, they should see value. They should see righteousness. They should see love. They should see a seasoning on society around them, a positive influence, so to speak. And here it's saying, if the salt have lost its savor, Wherewith shall it be salted? It takes the value down if what people see is not attractive. One more yet for this one Philippians 2. Turn to Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2 verse 15 Philippians 2:15 says that ye may be blameless and harmless the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. And I find this one to be intriguing just the way it's pictured. I'm going to read it again, that you may be blameless and harmless. That's the opposite of dangerous and um, bad. The sons of God, again talking about our position in Christ, without rebuke, so people can't even, you know, accuse us of things because we're righteous. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, when all around you there's bad stuff happening and perversion of justice and whatever, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. So it's like, here's the Christian, shining with the, you know, we do this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's us. When people see us, they realize that there's something different. This whole concept about our reputation is... uh, Pretty Anabaptist in nature, like uh, we let our lives do the talking for us. You know that's a little bit controversial. Uh, it's it's hard to know how to think about that because in many ways it is our lives that is our, that are, is our testimony. Alan Roth came over and did a guest three-week guest uh, teacher. Stint at Igo, and I was able to sit in on his his lessons. Alan Roth is the uh, man who started the Followers of Jesus Church in New York City. So again, a city uh, ministry, and he talked about how we as Anabaptist people use this uh, "my life is my testimony" as an excuse not to talk. And he says, we need to open our mouths. We need to get out there and talk. We need to actually witness and share with people. On the flip side, talk is cheap. And so when you hear people talking about Jesus and saying, you should do this and that, and then their life doesn't match it, that's also not a good witness. Um, So being quiet isn't necessarily the optimal. Talking a bunch of fluff that you're not actually doing isn't optimal. So the right blend of that is to be who we say we are and then not be afraid to give an answer and a reason for the hope that lies in us. So that'd be my challenge. Um, In Thailand, we find that uh, some of the more could I say, aggressive evangelism doesn't actually produce as good results as getting to know people. We find that really building a relationship with people is one of the keys. The third category that I'm thinking of is uh, the things we do, the good works. You know, the Bible specifically says, They'll know us by our love. And then it says in Matthew five again, a couple of verses after the salt one, ye are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may what? See your good works. Your good works. And then what happens? And glorify your Father which is in heaven. So you see the correlation. People are supposed to see our good works, and that will glorify our Father which is in heaven. It's like a step by step thing. Uh, but doing all the good works without actually being a child of God and understanding that God is the one who saves us, the one who and then like we we need to understand who we are as a child of god and out of that our good works do glorify god why because people come to us ah, you do such a great job with this and that and inside we're like (laughs) yeah if only you knew uh you know i'm just flesh and blood as paul says i'm not a god i'm just flesh and blood like you uh but god has the ability to save us this flesh and blood born under the curse of sin, make us his children, and develop us into someone that can produce good works that actually glorifies God. Hallelujah, that's a good thing. Uh, That's how I feel about good works. So we don't necessarily focus on or keep track of how many good things we do in this world, but our good works are what helps our light to shine brightly. In closing, I'm going to share a, uh, some examples. Actually, I'm going to read some verses after I talk, I think. Um, I want to share an example of one of the things we're doing right now over in Thailand. So the Invest Ministry is... Uh, has a mission statement that we wanna come alongside the Thai church and help them in their outreach efforts. So that's our way of building the kingdom as a ministry. That's kind of our mission statement. Now, one of the ways we do this, Pastor Giet and the CMCC church over there, the Thai church, wants to start an outreach church in the Buok Kong area. Now, Bork Kong's just a small village. It's about 20 minutes outside of the city. And they want our help to do it. We do this by going out and teaching in the government schools around there. So we teach in the government schools. And there's always this struggle to know, should we, should we force them to let us talk Christianity in the government classroom? Like some ministries do it, and, and they'll actually let you do it. They want your volunteer English skills so much that they'll let you talk about the Bible and Jesus and do whatever you got to do. Is that what we should do? Um, Some people feel strongly that's what you should do. Well, we got into a school. Josh Slayball, one of our volunteers, started in a school uh, called Gosselium. It's just a little school, maybe 50 students, 30 students, and uh, in that school, there was a cook, and Pastor Giett got to know this cook, and P.A. is her name, A, and she became a Christian. And one of her visions was, let's start a Saturday uh, club, English club, and then we can invite our students to come to this club, and then we can teach them about Jesus at this club. And she offered her house, and so we went to her property for a couple of years, At that point, it was a little scary because we didn't even have enough volunteers to teach the classes. But this was her vision, and we were trying to roll with it and uh, do what we can. And it fascinates me how that turned into White Elephant Club, is what we call it. And I think at one of our Bible schools, you guys helped uh, raise money for White Elephant Club. Uh, that, That ministry has developed into a community center, pretty much. And we do a lot of different things. They come up with more ideas than we can even do. Uh, it's, it's interesting. It's complicated, actually, to work with another culture, another church. And while they do wear uh, the covering at their uh, church services, like especially those who are, take part in the service and so on, uh, Pastor Giat promotes wearing a prayer veiling and stuff. I would not call their theology Anabaptist. Uh, So there's the theological differences. There's the cultural differences. But when you're in an area where it's 1% Christian, those differences don't seem as big somehow as when we're all on a pile. Anyway, that's just a note for what it's worth. But we we are able to bring some... (coughs) English skills, some uh, whatever the Lord's blessed us with as volunteers, alongside the Thai church and help them in their outreach effort. And the, the Lord has blessed it, not because of us as volunteers, I don't really think. Um, he just blesses his work regardless. And it's what he wants to do. He wants to see his kingdom build. But one of the things that's unique we don't come as Westerners sharing our Western religion when we are working alongside the Thai Christians. They're the ones that are actually carrying a lot of the devotions, the teaching, the relationships. the And it comes from a different perspective. It comes from within their culture instead of um, Westerners coming and sharing. The Lord's blessed it. Um, the book Kong now has... Uh, that outreach has probably 12 believers, new Christians. They have a small group that runs there, and we're looking for a pastor, still praying for a pastor. Uh, pastor Giet would be happy if one of us volunteers would just step up and be the pastor of the church, but we're pretty convinced that that's suboptimal. It's uh, better if we can come alongside them and offer our English skills and whatever else we can bring to the table, but... You know, God is building his church around the globe. It doesn't all have to be just like us, um, but this kingdom building needs to be front and center in our thinking. Like, the kingdom of God is within us. It's something that is spiritual in nature, but it's something that's very real. It's something that has an impact on our culture, no matter what our culture is. So I'd like to close with Ephesians uh, 4. I'll just read these verses. Uh, As I think about, you know, our place in the kingdom, it can be a lot of different things. Um, Not everybody's going to move to Thailand. Not everybody's going to stay here. Not everybody's going to do exactly what you do right now, day to day. The Lord gives us different spheres of influence He gives us different desires. He gives us different callings. We need to be open if he wants to call us somewhere else. Be open to that. But we also need to be open if he wants us to continue to bloom where we're planted. We need to be open to that. Uh, But our focus, no matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing, needs to be on the beautiful realities that he's given us as a child of him and then we need to focus on what we can do to build the kingdom. It should be a, a, a part of the heartbeat of every Christian. So, Ephesians 4.11 says, and he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man, men, and cunning craftiness by where the, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. There's another verse in Matthew 24, says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Let's pray.